Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Scott McKillop. Scott, are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this, George. Excellent. Let's do this. Scott is the CEO of Ascent Asset Management. He's an industry veteran, a JD, a speaker, and a writer. I'm excited to have you on. Scott, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Okay. Um, personal life, um, I uh, live here in uh, Denver, Colorado, so I, uh, I like to climb mountains. I've climbed, uh, I think, 30 uh, mountains that are over 14,000 feet in height, including nice. uh, Mount Kilimanjaro at 19,000 plus. Uh, so I love to get outside. Um, <clears throat> I'm still a guitar player after all these years. I uh, took lessons from Jerry Garcia back in the day when I was growing up in uh, wow in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, still to this day, love to play the guitar. And uh, I have uh, a wonderful wife and uh, four kids, and life couldn't be better. So that uh, kind of sums up my personal life. Um, on the work side, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, First Ascent is, um, is a kind of a labor of love for me. I've been in the asset management business for uh, over 25 years now, and uh, providing outsourced portfolio management services to financial advisors. And uh, I guess about three years ago, I got a handful of ideas that I thought could make a difference in our industry. And so I formed First Descent and, uh, and started a, a firm that's uh, really dedicated to try to provide outsourced portfolio management services to financial advisors in a kind of a different and hopefully better way than it's been done in the past. Got it. I love it. So... What does a guitar lesson from Jerry Garcia look like? Is he just is he advertising uh, at a coffee shop saying guitar lessons? Or how does that start? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an interesting story. I actually went to uh, down to the local guitar store to take lessons from somebody. Uh, there was a guitar teacher named Troy Wiedenbacher, who nobody has ever heard of to this day, but um, he was uh, he was the hot guitar teacher uh, in uh, Menlo Park, Palo Alto area where I grew up. And went down, and the uh, folks at the guitar store said, nope, sorry, there's no way you can take from Troy. He's totally booked up. But we got this other guy. And I said, well, who's that? He, he pointed. He was actually sitting in the, um, in the guitar store. Uh, you know, I still remember it, a metal folding chair, and he was playing this beautiful guild 12-string guitar, and he was scary looking. You know, because back in those days, you know, there weren't that many people that had uh, long hair, and he had this kind of black, wiry hair and about five days of growth. And I thought... Hmm, that's kind of a scary looking dude, but he sure does know how to play the guitar. So, right. um, yeah, so I signed up and, and uh, took lessons from him for a while. That was kind of fun. That was before the Grateful Dead and, and all that. So to me, he was just kind of a, a local uh, scary looking dude sure. who really knew how to play the guitar. So awesome. It was fun. I love it. Yep. All right. So these ideas that you referenced, you had these ideas that you thought could make a difference. Um, yep. Tell us about those. Yeah, well, the, the first one, the most um, uh, obvious one that kind of sets us apart is that we provide our services on a flat fee basis. So pretty much every asset manager on the planet today charges a percentage of asset center management uh, for their fees. And uh, in our business, that just didn't make sense to me. The more, um, you know, the more I thought about it, uh, I, didn't, I, could, I didn't have a good explanation for why a million-dollar account was paying so much more than a $100,000 account uh, because the work involved from our 
from our perspective, was really the same, given the technology that's available to manage portfolios. So, um, so we just initiated a $500 uh, flat fee, $500 per year per account, uh, to manage the portfolio. So it's, um, it's uh, still, I think, we're the only asset management firm out there doing that. Uh, but that seemed like a good way to, um, to try to provide uh, asset management services at a reasonable price to financial advisors and their clients and make outsourcing more affordable uh, to those who wanted to take advantage of it. So that was kind of idea number one, and that's uh, certainly drawn a lot of attention. I, um, I, this, if I can, yeah. I, think that that's, yeah, sure. I think that that makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, I, uh, I, I, I do a lot of work with, with 401k plans, and I mm-hmm. always kind of thought, well, if I have a, a plan that has 10 employees, 10 high-income earning people that has $500,000 in assets this year, and then five years from now there's $2 million, I'm still going to be doing the same amount of work. Why would I charge, you know, yeah. exponentially more? So yeah, I think, I think exactly. we're reading off the same script. Why is it yeah. that uh, that you're the only folks that have sort of caught on to that? Is it is it greed? Well, is it just legacy you know, costs? I think, it's a, I think it's a combination of things. So, you know, I've been in financial services. I was a lawyer before I started in the asset management business, but I was in the financial services part of the business. So for over 40 years, I never questioned this, you know, percentage of assets under management fee schedule. So I think a lot of it is just momentum. I mean, I was actually embarrassed a little bit when I, when I started thinking about it um, and realized that there was a different, what I thought was a better way to do this, that I hadn't thought of it earlier. You know, it seems so obvious at, at a certain level, but I think the, the main reason is just that it's just momentum, but certainly greed is something that keeps it in place. I mean, I've talked to a lot of um, our competitors and, uh, other people in the asset management business, and they they secretly love what we're doing, and they applaud us. Um, they think the concept is great, but they're um, you know they're not happy about uh, the possibility that they would have to actually respond to that right. sort of uh, competition down the road. So we're too, still a little bit too small, I think, to scare uh, anybody uh, into changing. But um, who knows? That'll change maybe. Got it. Nice. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. The, next the one. other. Yeah, the other idea um, that's, uh, that was one that uh, took a, maybe a little bit more complicated was, you know, I looked around. I've been a lot of investment committees over my uh, career, uh, first ascent to actually the fifth asset management firm that I've, um, I've been with. And I, I watched a couple things um, that just didn't make sense to me. Um, uh, one was uh, the way people were building and managing portfolios. You know, we were kind of taking uh, the Harry Markowitz um, modern portfolio theory uh, and trying to apply it in the real world um, in a way that just didn't make sense. You know, in order, Markowitz's theory is wonderful, but in order to make it work, you need to know three things. You need to know the future expected returns, risks, and correlations of all the asset classes that you're using. And the problem is nobody actually knows what those numbers are. And so we keep, um, you know, kind of guessing and, and doing a lot of work to try to find the right numbers. And, um, and, and nobody is really sure uh, what those are. And they, you know, they can turn out to be uh, very far off from our estimates. And yet um, people are constantly rebalancing their portfolios and, and adding new asset classes to their portfolios and so forth to try to get this theoretically optimal portfolio to be just perfect. But in real life, it, uh, what ends up happening is you end up with lots of positions in portfolios, um, which means lots of trading costs and the rebalancing and so forth that goes on with the uh, construction of those uh, results in more uh, trading costs as well. So we developed what we 
what we call elegantly simple portfolio construction approach, which really um, tries to recognize that broadly diversified portfolios are a good thing, but you can build those um, very cheaply with relatively few positions. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of tr ongoing trading and rebalancing. Um, and so what we try to do is just keep the internal expenses low, keep the number of positions low, keep the trading costs low, and um, build good long-term portfolios with, uh, with basically simple um, portfolio construction that doesn't require a lot of the, uh, the more uh, high-priced um, asset classes. It doesn't require a lot of the trading that goes on and so forth. So we start, you know, by our estimate, we start every, you know, every year with a, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 1% performance advantage over a lot of our competitors just by keeping the costs low in our portfolios. I have to imagine, it seems to me that, that there are so many layers of complexity, whether sort of like the the first idea, it's just a matter of momentum that everybody's trying to now build a more sophisticated mousetrap than, than last year. Um, yep. And, and I, yeah, I, exactly. I hate to keep no, going back exactly. to this is nefarious and, and it's yeah. confusing, but I think that most people do appreciate simplicity. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know, our industry is notorious for um, trying to inject uh, complexity into um, whether it's products or portfolio construction or whatever it's just you know it's a it's a way of um trying to i th i think really trying to look smart and sophisticated and impress people um but you know what ends up happening really is it just ends up creating a lot of um expense and you can i mean you can just look historically and see the uh that's what i did i just finally you know i said hey let me let me see if this stuff is really adding value and when i looked at it you know the answer was not usually <laughs> you know every so often somebody will get lucky and you know something that they do will um will pay off for a while but a lot of the um a lot of the complexity that's in our industry um is really just designed to sell product and mask what's really going on which is you know people are um are trying to uh, sell a lot of product and make a lot of money, and and they do it at the expense of um, performance in the portfolios. We thought so. We took a different path. Right. Yeah. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. And we all know that cost is what you pay, and value is what you get. But if the cost exactly. is is a lot higher and there's not a lot of value, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, then you yeah. just bought a crappy thing. Yeah, you did. And there's unfortunately there's just too much of that out there, and and. Uh, you know, once again, it was kind of like the fee thing. Was, I, you know, I thought, well, you know, somebody's going to do something about that someday. Might as well be us. So, um, so we we uh, incorporated that elegantly simple portfolio construction into our process. It's worked really well. I like it. It's a great name. Yeah. Yeah. I um, saw so one of your blog posts talked about uh, asking the question: Is asset management commoditized? And yeah. I feel like that's sort of along this line. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's something that, um, you know, pundits, you know, will say that now, you know, I think it's especially uh, since the robo advisors came along, you know, there's this kind of idea that somehow asset management has become commoditized and that you can just kind of whip together a portfolio, whether it's using algorithms or, you know, just throwing some ETFs in a, you know, in a portfolio and come up with basically the same portfolio as anybody else is going to come up with. But if you really, you know, if you dig down and do the research, there's a lot of, a, a lot of differences. Um, you know, even, even firms that are trying to do essentially the same thing, let's just say 
build really uh, straightforward, globally diversified ETF portfolios. You know, you can get pretty dramatic performance differences uh, in the in those portfolios, and and then when you add to that, you know, the components of active management and so forth. Um, you really do get a lot of dispersion among um, asset managers and even products within the same asset class category. So it's not, you know, it's not a commodity at all, really, because it makes a difference um, how you build uh, portfolios and how you put things together and which products you use and so forth. So I think there's, um, at least in our view, there's still a lot of um, skill uh, required and, and work required in order to you know, build decent portfolios. And if you you get into the uh, trap of thinking that asset management is commoditized and you don't have to really think too much about it or worry um, you know, who, who you're working with, I think you're, um, you're headed down a dangerous path. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. So for people who are listening, I think they're going to say, well, this, this definitely makes sense. Um, and you start peeling back all these different layers of complexity and – I, I guess I'm going to ask two questions at the same time and yep. let you try to <laughs> sure. sort through them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll let you sort of sort, sort, sort through my brain here. What, what are really the most important elements to being a good investor to investing and should we really be paying attention to financial media? Ah, good, good questions. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so that, you know, that they're really, two parts of the good investing um, question, I think, you know, there's, there is, as, as you could tell from my comments about commodita- commoditization of asset management, you know, there is a lot of, of work and skill that can go into portfolio construction. So, the, you know, I think we have to be pretty dedicated to um, doing the work, doing the research, you know, making sure that we're controlling the cost of the portfolios, but also just the quality of the, of the, investment management organizations that we work with and so forth. So there's a lot of work there. But the, you know, the other side of it is the behavioral side of it, which I think is, is, much, um, is much harder to, to deal with because <clears throat> each of us, whether it's financial advisors or certainly our clients, are influenced by this myriad of um, behavioral characteristics, which the you know, behavioral finance um, community has identified. And, um, and, and this is, I think, the toughest part for asset managers and the toughest part for uh, financial advisors is to try to um, to recognize and and deal with those behavioral issues and really try to manage uh, coach the clients if you will through the you know through the ups and downs of financial markets and um, and really kind of be available to not just answer their their factual questions but actually deal with the underlying emotional issues which are driving those questions and so that's that's a that's a really hard and really important part um, of our industry and I think financial advisors are on the front line of that for sure um, you know people like us the asset managers you know we're kind of back at headquarters <laughs> you know hearing right. about it all but you know financial advisors are really on the front line of that um, but then you know then that kind of leads into your your second question which is should we be you know paying attention to the financial media and there I think you know, it's kind of a mixed answer. You know, it's not a, it's not really a yes or no um, uh, question. I think you have to be very selective about what you pay attention to. You know, we have, I mean, in our industry, we have so so many publications right now. You know, we have lots of online publications. We have hard copy publications or, you know, newspapers, magazines, blogs everywhere. You know, it's just, you know, there's a ton of information. And, um, and, 
and I think the you know the industry has to fill up all of those channels every day, and uh, as a result, you, you there aren't that many important things to know, <laughs> you know. Uh, so we get a lot of articles that are I think kind of fluffy and kind of um, right. dramatic, you know. Try to um, you know it's almost like um, you know they try to grab attention with these kind of outrageous uh, statements and claims and so forth. And so there's a lot of misinformation out there, just really plain flat out bad. Uh, bad information that's floating around out there. So I think, you know, rather than um, answering the question, you know, should we pay attention, yes or no, I just, I think it's more um, incumbent on all of us to just be very selective about what we pay attention to. And again, kind of guard against those behavioral issues we were talking about, because, you know, we're, we're just like our clients in that, in the sense that we have all those same behavioral characteristics, um, you know, the professionals in the business do it as well as the clients. And so, we can be led astray or um, agitated or, you know, moved to action by um, the, you know, the outrageous uh, claims or even not so outrageous, but just plain flat out wrong information that's floating around out there. We all do yeah, have brains. Real, so. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> and they never, they never turn off. That's, the, you know, that's no. part of our problem is we, we can't stop them. But what I, I don't know if you realized it or not, Scott, but there's no room for nuance in, in uh, today's culture. So it's a, it's a binary <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> yeah, right, well, so. I think that's, you know, that's part of the problem that we deal with, right? That, that's right. certainly uh, part of the problem. You know, people don't want to take the time to think things through. But, um, yeah, that's, so, a, that's a whole other topic, right? Yes. So how do people, how do people access your portfolios? Um, well, you can uh, get in touch with us directly. I mean, the, probably the best way, if you're interested in our firm, the best thing to do is to go to our website, which is First Ascent AM. That stands for Asset Management. So FirstAscentAM.com. And just uh, take a look. We, we actually make a lot of um, use of videos. So you can um, meet our team. You can hear about our investment philosophy. You can hear the story of how our company got started. You can read a lot about our firm. And then, you know, of course, we have a contact us uh, tab there. And if you're if you if you like what you see, you can um, you can get in touch with us and and find out more. We're, a, you know, pretty easy, uh, approachable group. And if you just want to maybe a demonstration of um, the, the technology that we use, we've developed some pretty cool technology to help people open accounts and generate proposals. So that's all done online pretty uh, quick and easy. And then you can uh, learn about our portfolios and about the team behind the portfolios and um, and make a decision about whether you think we're a good match for what you're doing. Excellent. Well, Scott, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I think, um, so this is what I would say. I, I would say that um, all of us um, are, are creative beings, and we, we have this um, energy in us which is, you know, it's got to be expressed in some manner or another. You know, I, I um, use my guitar in part for the um, expression of my creative energy, but I realized at some point in my career that, that what I do in business and, um, uh, is also part of my expression of my creative, you know, inner energies. And I think so if everybody just kind of looks at, at what's going on, you know, the urges and the, the feelings that they have about what they're doing and really tries to get in touch with those um, you know, you'll, you'll actually be a ha happier person. You know, we got, again, going back to the media thing, we've got so many people telling us what to do and what technology to employ and how we need to build our firms and uh, manage our practices and so forth. And, um, you know, I think people just need to kind of get in touch with who they are, especially financial advisors, because they're, 
you know, they're, they are their own brand. You know, they, they're, the, they're face-to-face with their clients, and they need to be comfortable with who they are and um, pursue the um, activities and the parts of this profession that they're really interested in and, um, and you know, make decisions about how they build their practice to, to really satisfy those uh, creative energies they have. So be, uh, recognize your creative energies and, and go with them. I think that's my, that's my tip. Oh, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Scott your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. And it is First Ascent Asset Management. I left out the first in your introduction, so I apologize about that. And it's firstascentam.com, and I'll also list that in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Scott. Hey, thank you very much, George. I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to come and, and be on your podcast. Thanks a lot. You bet. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!